Today's readings were from Psalm 27 and from Luke chapter 13, verses 31 to 35, entitled Jesus' Sorrow for Jerusalem. At first sight, we might wonder why these two Bible readings have been chosen to be read on the same day. Often we choose to preach mainly on one reading or the other, and sometimes we have only one reading anyway. But usually there is a connection, a reason why we might draw on both readings together to understand God's mind. The Bible contains many types of writing. For example, there is history, law and poetry. There is song and prophecy. In the New Testament there are biographies of Jesus and letters that his first followers wrote to each other. In one of these, St Paul writes, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. He is, of course, right. But scripture is also useful for other purposes. For example, to help us understand the mind of God, his attitudes and to help us to find ways into prayer. Someone has said that the Bible as a whole is a love story. I am sure it could be summed up in other ways, but today we will follow that line of thinking and use it to tease out the connection between our two Bible passages today. On the one hand, we have King David, David the poet, David the songwriter, who is writing a poem or song, and we must treat it as such. Poems aim to speak about what is in our emotions, feelings or longings. On the other hand, in his biography that Luke wrote, Jesus is having an emotional moment. So we must try to think about what that moment must have felt like to him, what his emotions and feelings and longings were. And when we have thought about both of these, we might ask ourselves what our emotions, feelings and longings on the subject are. Now, it is true that some say the Bible as a whole is a love story. We might compare it with a human love story, with chick lit perhaps, and we might see some parallels. Others might see this process as sacrilegious, and of course we certainly wouldn't do this if we did not see places where the Bible itself speaks of itself in that way. For example, from the Old Testament, there is the prophecy of Hosea. Now, Hosea was led by God to marry a woman who was unfaithful, after and possibly before their marriage as well. God did this so that Hosea would find out what God feels about the Baal worship and other immoral behaviour of Israel, his chosen and beloved people. Hosea writes in poetic form about how angry and hurt God is, and how he will allow foreign armies to conquer and enslave them. But he also writes about how much, despite all this, God longs to gather Israel from where they have been taken, and to restore them to the loving, marriage-like relationship that he had always wanted. And in the New Testament there is, of course, in, towards the end of the book in Revelation chapter 19 and 21, language in which we, the Church, are spoken of as the Bride of Christ. Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad, and give him glory. 
for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. So let's look at Psalm 27 first in more detail. This is the song of the lover who wants more. If we are thinking of the Bible as a love story, then this psalm is indeed the song of a lover who wants more. One might think from the first verses that this is about David and his enemies, but it is really about David and his love for God. In modern times, someone I think called Gary Chapman has framed the idea that there are five languages of love. Although this idea is usually used to think about expressing love between a man and a woman, we can perhaps keep this idea in mind as we eavesdrop on David. The five languages of love are words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts and giving gifts, acts of service and physical touch. In Psalm 27, David is expressing his love for the Lord God. Which of these five languages can we see in use? So, first, words acknowledging how good God is to David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The expectation of receiving a gift. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. And then we find more words for putting to music probably, giving praise to God. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. And then he speaks of wanting quality time together. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. And again, more quality time together. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And in preparation for acts of service, David asks, Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path, so that he will know what acts of service will please his uh, God that he, whom he loves. And in other places, he also speaks of himself as servant, and God as his helper, doing things together in relationship. But we must not take this analogy too far. God was not physically present in, God's, in David's life, and so we cannot find any mention of touch. So, Psalm 27 is the song of a lover who wants more, serving God in words and deeds, seeking God's face and longing to dwell in his presence all the days of his life. But when we turn to the passage from Luke, we see in Jesus a lover who is heartbroken. Some Pharisees came to Jesus and told him to go away, and that was not a great welcome. Their reason is that Herod was trying to kill Jesus. 
This may well have been true. He has killed other people who crossed him. That's what Roman governors did uh, to political dissidents. Jesus, indeed, has been upsetting all the local dignitaries, Roman and otherwise, and the local leaders. In desperation, some of them try to tell him to go away. Telling something difficult to go away is, of course, a time-honoured time approach to solving a problem, even though it does not, in fact, solve the problem at all. But instead, Jesus says, no, I will carry on with my plan. I have a goal. The goal, of course, was to go to Jerusalem and to break the power of sin and the devil by accepting death on the cross, by being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As St John puts it in his Gospel, in one of the most famous verses ever, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This love is the love that Hosea foresaw and tried to describe when he took back his unfaithful wife, thus getting insight into how God longs to take back his unfaithful people, whatever century they may be living in. Jesus' three-year tour has been revealing who he is and what the mind of God is. Some have loved it and are following him. Others are hating it and want rid of him. Jesus is sad about the eventual fate of those who want rid of him when they could have welcomed him with joy. Jesus is suffering the pain of a lover who is rejected, the pain of unrequited love. And so our passage ends with sad words. I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. Turning to the present day, we ask ourselves, uh, is Jerusalem the only city over which Jesus weeps? No, Jerusalem in the first century is not the only city over which Jesus has had cause to weep, and it will probably not be the last. Even now, at the time of speaking, cities in Ukraine are being bombarded, a maternity hospital has been demolished, and we can hardly avoid news of other appalling happenings. Officially, this war is about improving national security, but it also may involve competition for resources, writing historical grievances, empire building and perhaps other causes as well. And none of these are the goal that Jesus had in mind as he kept on his course to Jerusalem that spring day long ago. Many have died and are dying for their country's causes that Jesus died to save us all from a far worse enemy. So, as we ponder these two lovers, David, the poet king, the one who wants more, and Jesus, the saviour, the one who is heartbroken, where do these pictures find resonance in us? Are we the one who longs to express his or her love for God in as many ways as is possible? and to spend as much time as possible with the God whom he or she loves? And do we also see the world through the emotions and feelings of him who longs to gather together his chicks under his feathers? 
Do these pictures help us understand the mind of God and his attitudes and might they help us to find ways into deeper, closer prayer? Will these two pictures meet in us?